0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. I'm Chris Hatfield. I'm a sales coach and speaker. I work with entrepreneurs, business owners, and coaches in making them feel more comfortable and confident in how they position themselves and sell in their own natural way to their customers. I also work with a variety of individuals in the world of sales, from those just starting out their career to those working from an exec or director level. In today's episode, I'm joined by CEO, award-winning social media marketer, and Huffington Post contributor, Rachel Pedersen, and Rachel and I are going to be talking all about why you should avoid trying to work with everyone. We're going to start by discussing the reasons for doing this, the pitfalls of trying to work with everyone and anyone, and how you can become better at identifying the right and wrong kind of customers. Rachel's also going to be sharing a bit about her journey and what she's done along the way that's really worked for her in her success. So sit back, grab a pen and pad and enjoy. Rachel, welcome. How are you?
1: Excellent, Chris. Thank you so much for having me. How are you?
2: I'm really well, thanks. Thank you for joining me on an episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Really excited for this one.
1: I am so excited. I think we're going to have a good time.
2: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, Rachel, for those listeners that aren't too familiar with with yourself, it would be great to to start off with a bit of an overview, a bit of a, a backstory really about who you are.
1: Yeah. So I am a Minnesota mom. I live in Minnesota and I have three amazing kids. My backstory is a little bit interesting because I don't have a marketing degree and I didn't have a background in marketing before I got started in what is now basically my whole you know my whole business and kind of my life. So mm. I used to actually work as a hairstylist in a popular downtown salon here in Minnesota and one day one of my clients came in and asked me if I could help her with her social media. So even though I didn't know a lot about social media, I just knew more than she did, so I decided, hey, I can help you out. And from there, it started to become like an obsession. I got really addicted to marketing and I loved it so much. So I actually switched fields completely and applied for digital marketing and got a position at a digital marketing agency. And so I I went into marketing, but then there was still that desire inside of me that was like, I really, really want to do this for myself. Like I want to be a boss. And so Mm -hmm. I started to secure clients on the side. And it happened really fast. Uh, Within six months, I was able to leave my nine to five. A couple months later, I retired my husband from his nine to five, which is crazy. And over the last couple of years, it's been amazing. I mean, we've grown quite a bit. We work with clients that are really, really big companies and awesome companies that are doing uh, incredible things. We've helped clients to grow by, you know, as much as 70, 100%. And we helped wow. another client who had made a couple hundred thousand before she met us. We helped her to make over $2 million over the last uh, nine months. So it's been just an incredible journey. And I also teach people how to become social media managers when i started to be successful in that field people were like how did you do it can you teach me how to do it and i was like why not i'll show you how to get a client and from there it just grew and now we have 1200 students from 70 different countries
2: wow what a story and you know i'd love to explore a bit more later on in the podcast of the learning curves and what you've gained from that experience so far and obviously you mentioned there about bringing customers and clients on board and it leads nicely into the topic that we're talking about today of why you should avoid trying to work with everyone. And I know you posted a video about this a few weeks back, which got me thinking about this topic, because quite often we talk about how to identify the perfect type of customer or client, but we don't focus on also how to avoid the certain type of customer or client. So to start off with, what do you think are some of the reasons you'd want to avoid working with certain customers or clients?
1: Oh, yeah. There's, I mean, it's crazy because working with clients, the... The power and the relationship has kind of shifted over the last few years. I think like the old school version of building a business was the customer's always right. You want to work with every customer who will buy. And oftentimes it would be at the peril of the brand and the sanity of the founders and definitely the customer service team. And so one of the things that I kind of realized was that there were certain clients that just lit me up. Like it was so exciting. I believed in their brands you know, we had great communication and we would knock it out of the park. But then there were certain clients that it was just, it was like pulling teeth. They weren't passionate about their business or they were just in it for the money. And that was actually really challenging. Mm. So I just started to realize a couple of different things. Number one, I need to believe in my clients' businesses. I need to honestly and truly believe that they're making a positive impact in the world and that they're doing it to help people, not just to make money. Mm-hmm. That's one of the big things that I discovered. And a couple of other things too, though, are, you know, personality matching. And I think that this is something people overlook when you go like, let's, let's, let's all go, we'll go back to our dating days for a second. Cause most people have been on, you know, at least a couple dates. And I think a lot of us have been on dates where it wasn't great. You're like, it was awkward or maybe the person was rude or it just wasn't a good fit. Well, why would you want to continue dating that person? You wouldn't, right? Mm. The same exact thing is true with clients. You want to make sure that you have a good connection and vibe. I think that that's absolutely essential.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, (laughs) And to add to that point as well, I think some of the reasons from my perspective and my experience of wanting to avoid a particular customer is that sometimes you will, find customers that you know expect more than what they what you can necessarily deliver they might be on a shoestring budget but expect the world or that you know you can't actually meet their expectations and by going down that route and trying to work with them when you know at the start you're not going to be able to fulfill that you're you're going to struggle later on at the end of it when they say well you know what happened it it wasn't where we expected it to be and and you knew all along that it wasn't going to be and as you mentioned that is going to affect your reputation so it's better to be honest with those kind of people from the start. And and I'm sure they'll appreciate it as well. I know they appreciate it when you turn around sometimes and go, look, you know, from, from what you said to me, if it's a budget thing, what you're saying to me right now is if you really want that, it's actually going to cost this. I'm not going to sit here and say that I'm going to be able to deliver all that when I can't. And sometimes from that, people will actually appreciate that honesty and go, actually, do you know what? If it does require that added investment, then, then so be it.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Another thing, too, that comes to mind is a lot of times people will say like, oh, this is my dream client Mm -hmm. before they've really gotten out and worked with clients. And sometimes it can really surprise you what your dream client is. You know, some people think it's the massive companies, the Fortune 500s. But I'll tell you, those processes are really different and much more demanding than working with an entrepreneur online. It's totally different. And a lot of people will say like, I just want to work with nonprofits or heart centered business owners. And those are great things and those are great missions, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be the best clients. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, you know, when you're, like I said, I know I keep going back to dating, but I think it's such a good comparison when you're about to go out dating and you're like, I want to marry someone who is an attorney or a doctor so that we have financial, you know, financial success. And that's great, but you're, missing so much else you know you're missing that and if you're like i want to marry a musician because i think that they're passionate you might be missing a a whole pool of people that would actually be a much better fit
2: yeah absolutely and and as you mentioned there when you go after people for the name it's often that you're going after their name because of the external brand that they portray not necessarily the internal challenges or the internal kind of um processes that go on within within that business and Particularly if it's not within your speciality or a niche, you you might be going after that name to think oh, I might look good on our website, or you know I like that brand. It's it's making sure, as you said at the start, that finding that that perfect fit and not just getting attracted to those names for the wrong reasons. Like asking yourself, why is it that we want to work with them? And I don't think enough people do that before they commit to working with customers and clients.
1: I honestly, yeah, I think that that's huge. I think honestly, the first thing that you should do is actually get out there and work with some different clients. And it's going to be a little messy at first, but you might discover through that process what ends up being your ideal clients.
2: Mm. I mean, we've touched on a couple of them already, but what other pitfalls do you see of of people sort of ignoring this and thinking, no, I'm going to try and work with everyone. I'm going to ignore the, the signs at the start. What, what can occur as a result of this?
1: oh my gosh, one of the most dangerous things for an entrepreneur is burnout. When you're doing something that doesn't align with what your mission is, like what your goal and your dream for your business and for the contribution that you bring to the world, when you ignore that and you just say, I'm gonna work for anyone who pays me, Mm -hmm. suddenly you can burn out fast. You can find yourself starting to wake up and resenting the workday. You can wake up and find yourself resenting the calls of clients and being frustrated and upset and saying like I don't even know if I want to do this anymore and so protecting yourself from burnout is something you absolutely have to do that's one of the major pitfalls Um, I actually think that's probably the biggest pitfall of all
2: Mm. and related to that burnout as you say if you're trying to work with everyone you kind of lose sight of your purpose and your motivation as to why you started doing what you're doing in the first place and and that leads to that burnout and that feeling of resentment because you've You've kind of lost that passion and that kind of fire that you had at the start because you've just overloaded yourself with everything. And from that, yeah. you then find it hard to differentiate yourself. You 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 go into a market thinking, you know, I'm different because of this X, Y, and Z. You then try and work with everyone, you then lose sight of your purpose. And then you actually realize, you know what, I'm I might be saying something different, but I'm just the same as my competition.
1: Absolutely.
2: One thing that um you know, when you were talking about that, trying to expand to everyone, I had uh, John Lee DeMass on my podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he used the phrase of some people just going a mile wide and an inch deep. In that, when you first start out, it's it's really yes, you need to try a, a lot of flavors, but once you do find your angle or your niche, is really drilling down to that down to that because it's also about your business isn't just about bringing on boards potential customers and clients. It's also about honing and perfecting your craft and building that experience. But over that time, if you're working with anyone and everyone, you're not really developing much in your particular area that you're focusing on.
1: Absolutely. But I, I love that he differentiates that there's the before and the after. Mm. Once you discover what you love and what you're passionate about and what you're good at, it's totally different. But before that point, You do have to try some different things.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's just about trying all those flavors, isn't it? It's thinking it's not coming into the the market with a niche without actually exploring if that is your niche or you just, you just never know. You never know. I mean, some people come in, for example, coaching and think I'm going to be a sales coach and um, just work with a particular uh, area like telesales or a particular vertical, but you know, they might go into another vertical and think, actually, do you know what? A lot of the stuff I'm talking about, a lot of the challenges are a lot more suited to what I can bring to this market.
1: Yeah, I think that that's huge. Um, one of the things that's kind of interesting is, and I love to do this, really identifying what your strengths are naturally can be a huge part of the process of discovering what you can bring to the world. Mm. So I'm a big believer in like disc tests and strengths finder and Myers Briggs. I am obsessed with taking these tests because. When you know your own natural strengths, and sometimes it might surprise you because people have told you that it's not a strength, it's a weakness. But when you know your own strengths, you can suddenly own them and find ways to incorporate them into what you do, no matter what field you're in.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So so on this topic, in terms of some practical advice for, for people listening to this, how do people become better at identifying the right kind of customers and the wrong kind of customers earlier on in in their process?
1: Ooh, so one of the things that is a really great way is to make sure that you're not taking on clients without a solid discovery call. And a discovery call, if you spend your whole discovery call telling someone why they should work with you or talking about your services, that's honestly a recipe for disaster. Mm. I don't believe in that. I believe that discovery calls are a getting to know you. And so I ask a lot of guided questions. Like, for example, tell me about your dream customer. Tell me about your dream client. What lights you up? What gets you excited to work each day? What, who, who do you see in the marketplace killing it? And who do you respect? Those types of questions can honestly show you very quickly what someone's goals are and what they align with. I'll never forget, you know, there was one person that I talked to and I asked him what his goals were. And he instantly started talking about his goals of, you know, I want to make a hundred thousand dollars first, and then I want to make a million dollars. And I realized through the conversation that honestly, it was all about the money. Mm. And that makes it really difficult to love on your customers and build a brand that's successful. So, the discovery call is, is not just an opportunity for you to sell people, it's an opportunity for you to learn about the potential client as well.
2: Yeah. And I think even though questioning is talked so much and it's, you know, some people have talked about it to death, it's still so underutilized and undervalued. In that, I think, as you mentioned there, too often salespeople or entrepreneurs looking to be able to position their business jump into pitching way too soon before they fully understood what their customer or client expects. And when you actually go into that pitch, you kind of lost that opportunity to then go back and ask questions because that pitch should be tailored towards everything that you've gotten from that person in the first place.
1: Absolutely, and to be honest, I don't usually pitch on the first call. Mm. I like to take some time and think about the strategies and what aligns with them. I'm not a huge fan of just focusing on how do I make money out of this? I want to make sure I'm listening and I'm focused.
2: Yeah. And I think people, people definitely appreciate that. I'm, I'm very much the same style as yourself in that if, for example, you have a call with someone and all of a sudden you've got a solution for them, someone might feel a bit like, were well, you just going to give me that anyway? Is this just like some you know, off the shelf kind of thing that we were going to do? Whereas if you actually take some time and come back and go, and the key bit here is, when you do pitch is, you know, you said X and this is why I'm going for Y. So you said you needed this and this is why we're focusing on this. So it's kind of attaching everything back to that initial conversation. And from that, you'll get a lot more buy-in and appreciation from your customers.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, I, I love what you just said. It's so true. But suddenly when you stop focusing on yourself and you start focusing on the needs of your prospect, they mm-hmm. feel it. It shifts the whole
2: energy of the call. Mm, definitely. And on the topic of questions as well, of being able to identify the right and wrong type of customers is also by the questions they ask you. are just as important to give you an indication of where they're at, what they're thinking about. And sometimes there might be some questions that they ask and you think, oh, this might be a sign that they're not the right type of customer for me or they might be the right type of customer just the way they're asking the questions you might be like-minded to yourself
1: absolutely yes so (sighs) with shifting that whole call and making it all about the customer and kind of like kind of like a date you Mm. want to learn about the other person that's i think a huge part of the process it's kind of funny because we rarely actually talk about my packages and what i do on the call but if anything you know, when my clients ask me questions, they want to know more about how I got to where I am, what I'm passionate about, what my what I'm obsessed with. You know, they ask questions that are really getting to know you questions, mm. which is was a key indication to me that it is not so much about what you offer. It's about who you are and how you connect with people.
2: Yeah. And I think a, a very important part to start off with as well, when you're identifying the right type of people to work with is understanding you know, the end in mind of what is it? What's the end goal here? What do they want to achieve? Because, you know, not everyone's going to know that. And, and that's a great way to also build that relationship and build that trust and that rapport is getting people to start thinking about that because they might have not thought that far ahead, which is fine. That's part of your role sometimes, depending on or whatever you're doing, whether you're selling a product, a solution, a service, whatever it might be, but always having that end goal of, okay, how do we then reverse engineer that and work backwards and then put some things in place?
1: Absolutely. I love it.
2: So, you know, some really useful uh, insights there, Rachel. Thank you very much for that. I know you mentioned at the start of the the call a bit more about your your story and and sort of your backstory about how you've got to where you are today. But I'm really intrigued as to what do you think you've learned most about yourself during that time up until today?
1: Oh, you know... Honestly, that I can go with the flow. (laughs) You know, it's something I take a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts, I take a lot of interviews, I take a lot of conversations. And one of my favorite things is to really just be comfortable with going with the flow of things and not trying to always manufacture things. So being very authentic through just letting conversation happen, discovering where things go. That's something that I've learned that I really enjoy. And it's funny because a lot of people try to overly schedule and overly manufacture conversations mm. when sometimes like the greatest gold comes from those authentic moments.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I've seen it a lot in my sales career and, and even my time during this In that you'll always be able to tell when someone's asking a question and someone's giving an answer if that person's already preloaded in the gun the next question they're going to ask because they don't actually react or say anything back to what you've just been talking about they're just already ready to go with the next thing and because they've got it so scripted in their head and it's almost like they then become robotic and there's just no knowing engagement or or empathy or anything from there
1: i see it all the time
2: Mm. and and staying with your your past and your you know your story up until today is there any particular story that you remember that has provided some word, uh, sort of sort of wisdom or guidance that you've, you've got from someone else or from your own story during your life?
1: Oh, my gosh, so many. Um, you know, I think one of my favorite piece of, pieces of advice that I've been going back to a lot lately was from a mentor of mine who said, he said two things. He said, number one, read a book a week. If you read a book a week, you will know more within a year than most people know in their life. Like that's a huge accomplishment. So he said, read a book every single week for a year. And the second thing that he shared with me is to not chase lists or accolades, focus instead on the people and the results that you want to bring lists and accolades. If you chase them, it's a very empty journey, Mm. but. Instead, if you chase results and people and love people, you'll find that the lists and accolades and awards and everything, they follow.
2: Yeah, they're almost a byproduct, really, aren't they? It's, it's really about, you know, I use this analogy, if you go for a bike ride, you're not just focused on getting to the end, getting to the end of it. You're appreciating the views and the experience along the way. So it's not just about yeah. focusing on the destination, it's enjoying the ride, because that's where the real learning and the enjoyment and the experience about what you're capable of is is really going to um, you know determine your success. And if you're focused too much on the outcome, you're going to lose sight of the process and what's actually important and what you can control.
1: I think another way to look at it as well is, you know, the outcome shouldn't necessarily be just the monetary or arbitrary goals. Mm. Instead, the outcome that you're chasing should really be about something that, fulfills the deep desires you have inside I think that that was a big perspective shift for me
2: yeah and I think uh, again it's one of those we talked about earlier about identifying the end in mind is that I think a lot of people jump into something not actually really understanding in themselves why they're doing it and that if they don't do that that's when they find it hard to be consistent or maintain it through the tougher times whereas if you can actually clearly identify that from the start and you have that passion and then you couple it with the execution and the focus then then you've got a great combination there
1: yes I think that that nails it honestly it sums it up so well
2: not necessarily having to relate to the topic we've talked about today but do you have any other tips or techniques that you feel would benefit people in the world of selling or the world of marketing
1: yeah um So I'll be honest, like selling wasn't something that was natural, natural to me ever. Um, I didn't understand how sales really worked for a long time. And one of the best things that I did that was super helpful, and I think this is helpful for anyone, is to find a mentor who's really good at sales. Mm -hmm. I'm talking crushing it, you know, and watch what they do and learn from the way that they sell. That was a game changer for me. That's honestly one of the best things I've done is committing myself to learning how to sell really well.
2: Yeah. Great. Well, you know, Rachel, it's been a real pleasure today. Thank you so much for your insights, your experience, your knowledge and and your stories as well. Thank you so much for having me, Chris. You're very welcome. And for the listeners who want to stay up to date in your world, Rachel, and, and if they're not uh, aware of you already and want to be, how can they find you?
1: Absolutely. The easiest way to find me is rachelpeterson.com and it's all E's and a D in my last name.
2: Perfect. Great. Well, Rachel, thank you again for um, for being a guest.
1: Thank you so much for having You're me. You're
2: very welcome. And for the listeners, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. Hey, people. Thanks for listening to another episode of Not Another Sales Podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest episodes and posts you can find me on instagram not another sales guy underscore in each of those words you can also find the podcast on all major platforms by typing not another sales podcast and also if you want to connect with me on linkedin i go by the name of chris hatfield so thanks again and stay
0: tuned for another episode